0: Next, this month's special series focus on disaster medicine and preparedness. Unforeseen disasters carry unique challenges and learning opportunities. This month, we present conversations that scrutinize our plans and protocols and ask, how prepared are we? How will we react?
1: Do we have leaders that are trained in place to meet the ethical crisis that may arise when we have a pandemic in the United States? You're listening to ReachMDXM, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, your host, and with me today is Dr. Nancy Berlinger. Dr. Berlinger is the Deputy Director and Research Associate at Hastings Center. She's also been the Co-Director of Addressing Pandemic Planning and Clinical Ethics Education and is the author, After Harm, Medical Error, and the Ethics of Forgiveness. Thank you, Dr. Berlinger, for joining us.
0: I'm delighted to be here.
1: To begin with, can you tell me what is the National Pandemic Influenza Preparedness and Response Plan?
0: Well, the National Pandemic Influenza Preparedness and Response Plan is the federal government's overall strategy together with the states for dealing with the potential for a pandemic influenza strain in the United States. Now, the national strategy has two different parts. The first part describes the duties of the federal government, which are surveillance, investigation of outbreaks, development of lab tests to determine which strain of flu was responsible for outbreaks, vaccine development in response to the identification of the pandemic flu strain, travel restrictions that would be involving interstate travel or air travel, and facilitating communication. Many of these activities would be coordinated by the Centers for Disease Control, and day-to-day authority for the preparedness plan comes under the Department of Health and Human Services. Now, the other part of the plan involves the states. The Department of Health and Human Affairs gave all of the states an assignment to submit the state strategy to the Center for Disease Control so that the federal government would have a plan on file from each of the 50 states. States have six duties under this plan to identify the public and private sector partners for local efforts, coordination with the federal efforts that I've just described, the integration of the state and the federal efforts, the coordination of the local health authorities, data management, statistics, and so on, and coordination with adjacent states and other jurisdictions, which might include Mexico and Canada in the border regions. So the local authorities the public health surveillance officers in counties or cities, and, of course, the hospitals themselves and other health facilities are the places where care is actually delivered, and that's the place where the local consumer tends to think, well, that's where I would go if if, if I hear that there's a pandemic flu outbreak. But as you can see, the local authorities are dependent upon the state authorities. The state authorities are dependent on the federal authorities. So it's rather complex. There's no one person who's in charge of, of everything, but most people have to look locally for information that they're going to receive about what they would do. And the same thing is true for doctors because they're, they're going to be looking at their own hospitals, their own counties, their own cities, their own states to say, how do I do my job under the circumstances of a public health emergency?
1: This saying is, you know, where the rubber meets the road. And it sounds like it's all going to come down to the first responder he is going to be the one who will be in the trenches and be most vulnerable. How does he respond to the plans that will be handed to him?
0: We have a saying in ethics, ought implies can, and that means you don't want to create paper plans, the sort that sit on the shelf and are never used, or if someone takes them down and looks at them and says, oh, well, well this is out of date, or this is unrealistic, or there's no way we could ever afford to do any of these things. So we must not let first responders down by writing paper plans. What we have to do is recognize that we have a duty to plan. We have a duty to educate people about the plan. We have a duty to train first responders for the activities that they uniquely can do during a public health emergency such as a pandemic. Now, when we talk about first responders, we tend to think of physicians and other healthcare professionals, ER physicians, nurses respiratory technicians, intensivists, other clinicians who actually provide direct care. But then, of course, there are many other kinds of first responders. There are the lower status workers like janitors, people who work in the laundry, people who deliver food inside of hospital facilities, people who work in in the boiler room who actually keep the facility running and who themselves could be exposed to risk of infection. We should add that It isn't just risk of infection from pandemic flu, but in a hospital under these extreme circumstances, normal infection controls can break down. Hospitals can become very dirty. And so we can anticipate the fact that there could be secondary infections from the breakdown of normal cleanliness, normal sanitation. Other first responders would be truck drivers who are delivering supplies. They would be anyone who is responsible for public health and safety, police, firefighters, EMS workers. They're even the public health officials themselves, the people who have the potential to make good decisions that promote public welfare or bad decisions that may have been done in good conscience but actually turn out to work against the public welfare.
1: If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and I'm speaking with Dr. Nancy Berlinger, and we're discussing the ethical issues and conflicts that will arise when we have a pandemic. When I was thinking about the first responder, however, I was thinking about most of the literature says about the tremendous shortage of ventilators that we will have in our hospitals, and that first responder will be put in a place of possibly moving patients off ventilators at the direction of a senior triage officer. Will he be concerned about the liability he may be facing?
0: This is an enormous concern of clinicians everywhere in the country, especially physicians, because of the culture of medical liability in this country. Doctors fear being sued. Some have been sued. They have colleagues who have been sued. And so when you're talking to clinicians who are, perhaps they've been involved in pandemic planning or perhaps they're reading reports about their potential role in a pandemic situation, one of the first things that understandably comes to their mind is, could I be sued if I am practicing medicine under altered standards of care? Because a pandemic situation is certainly not business as usual. And we do our first responders a tremendous disservice. We really let them down if we don't work on the liability issue, even though it, it, it's one that is so difficult and has the potential to swamp everything else. But, you know, to discuss some of the, the basic concerns, under the the three-part test for negligence that doctors are familiar with in, in terms of medical liability, there's a standard of care, there's a departure from the standard of care, and there's a harm resulting from the departure from the standard of care. The doctors are very aware of this. When they hear about altered standards of care, they think, well, were, we're already talking about a departure from the standard of care. Could I possibly be sued by a patient or by a family member if I'm practicing medicine under altered standards of care and a patient dies and someone alleges harm, because I can't imagine a situation in a pandemic where people are not going to die, that we are going to be absolutely flooded with, with very, very sick patients. And so one of the concerns that comes up is how can the, the liability question be managed in a way that doctors are not afraid to practice medicine? And generally the way this is discussed is that there must be a participation between the state and the local providers around the issue, sometimes called the trigger point, the activity that will switch clinicians from standard of care to altered standard of care, and and which may take the form of voluntary guidelines. And typically this would be the declaration of a state of emergency. So it's very important that the clinicians not feel that they're on their own in this situation, that, well, it's all up to you, just come up with something. Rather, the state-level authorities, the legislature, the governor, the Department of Health, have to work with the hospitals and with the clinicians who will be providing care in those hospitals to say, let's come up with voluntary guidelines, let's agree on the trigger point that is going to switch people over to altered standards of care, and let's make sure we're very clear about this in the public sector, it, with the media, so people understand that there's, there is a profound difference between normal clinical practice and a public health emergency. How
1: can we make this plan transparent so that the disenfranchised or the vulnerable part of our population doesn't feel that this is business as usual and they're being pushed aside?
0: It's very difficult to do that because we live with the reality of health care disparities in the United States. We live with the reality of health disparities. There are some populations that have much poorer health than others in the United States, and we also live with health care disparities. People have greater or lesser access to care on the basis of how much money they have, whether or not they're insured, where they live, and many other factors. So if we're talking about a pandemic situation that will affect people's lungs, as it were, you can imagine that people who already suffer from respiratory ailments, emphysema, lung cancer, or people who have other debilitating illnesses, diabetes, asthma, cancer, and so on and so forth, will be in a situation where they are likely to have less access to limited resources because they will be less likely to do well in a ventilator situation, simply because there will not be enough ventilators to go around, there will be far more demand for ICU beds than there will be ICU beds. So this is the reality in which we live in because we don't all start from a level playing field in terms of our health and our access to healthcare. Addressing this frankly is very, very difficult. On the one hand, if you work in a hospital in a community where there are large numbers of individuals who suffer from diabetes, for example, you may have difficulty drumming up interest in your pandemic plan because people will say, We already have a pandemic here in our community and we don't feel that it gets enough attention. On the other hand, a few miles down the road might be a very wealthy community where people are not especially interested in the pandemic plan because they say, Well, I'm not going to line up for anything. I'm sure I can just buy what I need, and so they may understand limited resources in a different way. They may assume, well, I can just I can just buy the antivirals I need, or I can buy my way to the, the head of the, the vaccination line, or whatever it may be. So this is is a very difficult situation. There's no perfect solution to it. Some of the strategies that planners have used in different parts of the country are community meetings, posting draft documents on websites, inviting public comment. Some communities are probably going to be sending different things via the mail to community members because you can't assume that everybody uses the Internet in the same way. But this is difficult, and there has been definitely a drop-off in media coverage. A few years ago it peaked, and there were many, many media stories about pan flu. So It was sort of like Y2K. There was this, this intense interest, and then it dropped off. However, epidemiologists have never gotten less interested in this topic, they actually look at the statistics coming from the World Health Organization, and they become more concerned because of the mortality rate in the cases of human deaths, from um, human cases and human deaths of uh, avian flu. So that is another piece, is is how do you involve the media without it becoming a panic situation? How do you use the media as educators?
1: One of the things that uh, I'm intrigued with when you mention, it sounds like if we don't make a plan for the first responder or for the hospital, or for the state, and ignore it and put our head in the sand and say, you know, there's not going to be an altered standard of care, that we may actually have a liability because we don't plan. Is this the case?
0: That's exactly right. From uh, legal authorities, uh, it's my understanding that failure to plan could also be grounds for liability because if One knew of a risk and did not take steps to reduce risk, to reduce the potential for harm, that could be held to be as negligent as having the opportunity to practice to a standard of care and failing to meet that standard. So, um, given the history of litigation after different public health emergencies, lawyers are advising hospitals and public health authorities that they do need to attend to the issue of having workable plans rather than thinking that if they don't address the issue, somehow they're protected. It's, it's sort of analogous to the idea that if you disclose a medical mistake, you're putting yourself at legal jeopardy. But in fact, it's the failure to disclose that can put you at legal jeopardy.
1: I want to thank you very much for discussing this. It shows that our leaders are, have to be in a position to put into plan a social solidarity that the public can buy into before we meet this crisis. I indeed want to thank... Dr. Nancy Berlinger for joining us today, and we've been discussing the ethical issues that will arise, certainly if we have a pandemic, and it appears that many of our commentaries feel that it's only a matter of time. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, your host, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM, the channel for medical professionals. For questions and comments, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com and visit us at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.
0: You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Disaster Medicine and Preparedness. For a program guide and complete list of shows, please visit us at ReachMD.com and download ReachMD's new iPhone application, Medical Radio. Listen to the same live stream of ReachMD medical news and information you enjoy on XM160, plus CME and thousands of searchable podcasts. Download the Medical Radio app today.
1: Hi, this is Scott Williams, Vice President at Men's Health Network, and you've been listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals.